The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to grab, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to grab. We continue our study in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And what is the calling that we have received? To be servants of Jesus Christ. That's the calling. Paul is saying, be worthy of the calling while he is imprisoned for the calling. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, the calling to be a priest of the Most High God, a calling to be a fisher of men and women, a calling to expend every energy you have in building up the body of Jesus Christ. This is not a place we visit. This place is not the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Do you drain away the body of Christ or do you build up the body of Christ? He's saying, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have been called to ministry. Now he's going to give us step by step exactly what he means when he says, live a life worthy of the calling. Listen to these words. Number one, be completely humble. You would almost expect him to say, be educated, get training. If you're going to build up the body of Christ, you're going to have to hone your skills. You're going to have to have your toolkit of of skills up and running. No. He says, be humble. Be completely humble. Be gentle. And the word gentle in the Greek, very interesting. It means know when to be angry and when not to be angry. The imagery is that of a, of a massive dog walking down the street, and a little dog comes yapping out at that big dog, trying to bite him, and he just lifts his head and walks on down the road and pays no attention to the yapping dog. Paul's saying that's being prepared to be worthy of the calling you have received. Have you paid attention to any yapping dogs this week? Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In other words, putting up with each other. Have you done any putting up with this week? Husbands, have you put up with anything from your wives? Or wives, have you put up with anything with... Some of you I can see have had some putting up to do. Has God had to put up with you this week? Because you've been walking in darkness and rebellion? Not being worthy of your calling? 
He doesn't tell us these things and then God not walk in this manner with us. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, through the bond of shalom, through the bond of complete provision. You know, when we're shy of what we think we need, we figure out a way we can reach out and grab something from someone. To be worthy of the calling means I have nothing to grab and I have nothing to prove. It means I walk in peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, because I know the stories of Scripture were given to us that we might understand the way in which we walk with the Lord, I'm going to take you back to some stories of the Old Testament that will, I pray, open the eyes of our understanding. What I've just shared with you is very difficult for us to grasp because we are such intellects, great big heads and tiny little feet. It's only when we get a story that we begin to take it out of the head and put it where we walk. So let's go to where we walk. If we look in Exodus, we find the story of the children of Israel coming out boldly from the presence of Pharaoh. We find the children of Israel coming through the Red Sea and the Red Sea closing behind them, and they are now blocked. They cannot return to Egypt. Sometimes I wish God would bring every one of you through a Red Sea and close it behind you so that if you try to go back to the world, you'll die, you'll drown. Some of us need that. But he wants us to see the story. This is what God did. He brought them through and he closed it. Now, where are they? They're in the midst of the desert, and there's no way they can escape that desert without dying of thirst and without food. They do not have enough supplies to escape the desert. They are now totally at the mercy of God's hand. Either he provides for them or they die. Now, they didn't realize that when they crossed over the Red Sea. With all the excitement of the Egyptians coming after them, it's almost as though God had to send Egyptians after them to chase them into the wilderness, or they would have refused to go. God will use the Egyptians to do that to us. He'll take a job. He'll touch our health. He'll do whatever he has to do to chase us out into that desert. And there either he provides for us or we will die. Now, the children of Israel come through victoriously by the hand of God. And then in chapter 16, we find the whole community is now grumbling. 
They're grumbling a month and a half into the journey because now they have run out of all the food that they carried with them. And there's no food in the desert. And they say in chapter 16, Exodus 16, verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That's what it looked like to them. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are together enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. Notice that. I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. That is twice as much as they gather on the other days. And of course, the next Sabbath, they went out looking for manna, and there was none. And the Lord responds, will these people ever just do what I tell them to do? Chapter 17, the whole Israelite community then set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you put the Lord to the test? Remember, it was the Lord who was testing them, but in their minds, they're testing God. Now, we want to talk about that test. The people, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now, I want you to understand, it's hard for us because we turn on the faucet and the water flows. We go to the grocery store and they're full shelves of food waiting for us to make our selections. We go to our jobs and we get paid. So we know this month we have this much money to go and buy from the grocery store what we need. There was no grocery store here. There was no running water here. These are very primal things. You can last three days without water, and then you die. They were in a life-threatening situation. Now, in that life-threatening situation they begin to test God. And they tested God by saying, is God amongst us or not? Why is God treating us this way? This is unfair. How could God treat us this way? He brought us, Moses, out into this wilderness, and we're going to die here. And they were desperate. They saw no avenue 
for release. And he says, okay, I will give you bread. But then they have no water. You can live much longer without food than you can water. And now their very lives are threatened because there's no water for them to drink. Any water in the desert is going to be a small trickle. Not enough for a million and a half people. People were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses turns to the Lord and says, What am I supposed to do with these people? They're ready to stone me to death. And the Lord answers Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. This is verse 5. Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and then go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. The New Testament tells us that that rock was a symbol of Jesus Christ and the striking of that rock was the symbol of the crucifixion of Jesus. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa, means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? And then the Amalekites come and attack them. It's a way of God. First, he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea. He brings them into the wilderness, and the water is bitter at Marah, and so he throws in a piece of wood symbolizing the cross of Jesus, and the water turns sweet, and they're able to drink. They test him over the bread. And he sends the manna. Now they have had very specific instances where God has delivered them. He has given them what they have asked for. He has provided for them the necessities of their life. And now they come to another situation. And they cry out against God, is God amongst us or not? And this time, God punishes them with the attack of the Amalekites because of their unbelief. Now, we need to go back and go deeper. The Lord God of heaven is very patient with us. He's given some of you jobs, given you housing. He's given you at each step what you needed to just continue living. And then we come to the final crisis. And we say, is God amongst us? Why would we say such a thing? Well, I'll speak out of my own experience. When I need money, I need it now. It doesn't matter that I had it two weeks ago, and the need was met. 
because I live only in the present. I don't live in the past, and I'm scared to death of the future. And so I live right now, and right now I'm being squeezed. And when I am squeezed, my emotions begin to respond. And my emotions say, you're going to die, Ray. Everything is going to crash and disappear. Never mind that back here, time after time after time, God was carrying me and delivering me. And I have even said to the Lord, you have left me. Why have you left me? And he had to come to me and say, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Well, if you'll never leave me and never forsake me, why am I in this miserable situation? And why haven't you done what I've asked you to do? And why can't I trust you to take care of me every day? Well, those are emotions speaking. And when emotions speak and control the steps of our lives, when loneliness rises up in our heart and causes us to say things that are ungodly or to do things that are ungodly, we are revealing that we are but yet functioning as babies who have no control over their hearts. And he's saying to us, be completely humble, bearing with one another. May I say this, please? Bearing with him. Bearing with God. Not growing impatient and allowing our emotions to overrule our behavior. The greatest danger we face is allowing our emotions, which simply are. Emotions are not right or wrong. We all have emotions. Have you ever sat and wept in loneliness? I have many times since Jan's passing. Have you ever felt utterly forlorn and you don't know how you're going to survive because you don't have the money you need, you don't have the relationship you need, you don't have the house you need, you don't have the car you need, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have, and it all whelms up into a great big ball in your heart and you say, I might as well just give up. That's emotion. Emotions just are. They're not right or wrong. But when our emotions control our actions, we get into very serious trouble with God. And the sign of Christian maturity and the sign that the gate of righteousness has been opened to us is that we go back and review what God has done in the past. And we say, I am remembering what the Lord has done for me in the past. I'm remembering how he has broken that bondage that I was in. I'm remembering how he brought that person into my life. I'm remembering how he supplied me with the resources to go forward. I'm remembering how God, I'm not going to forget what God has done. And I'm going to stand by faith now that God will deliver me. 
And if we don't stand that way, we will be swept away with our emotions. And when we're swept away with our emotions, we test God. We demonstrate unbelief. We demonstrate selfishness of heart. We demonstrate bitterness of spirit. And we demonstrate to God that we need a spanking. And he will send the Amalekites. And the Amalekites will come and attack us and kill us. And then the only possible deliverance after the Amalekites come is lifting our hands up to the throne of God and saying, I was very foolish. Please forgive me. I will believe in you. You see, as we get wrapped up in the depth of that emotion, God is not going to say, okay, you're throwing a hissy fit. You're being a brat. Here, go ahead. I'll give you the candy. He's not going to do that. He's going to give us a spanking. He's a good mama and a good daddy. Now, I can remember back, I would go with my dad to the grocery store because dad did the cooking in our household and he always did the grocery shopping. And I would go with dad on the grocery shopping. And I would see some candy that I thought I wanted and I would ask my daddy for it. And he would say no. And I would say, but daddy, but daddy, but daddy. Anything he said to me, it was but daddy. And he would say to me, Raymond, if you but daddy me one more time, I'm going to take you to the car and I'm going to give you a spanking. There were times when I but daddied him again. And he took me out to the car and he gave me a spanking. And I sat in the car bawling while he went back in the store and finished the grocery shopping. It did not take many times until I learned that he meant what he said to me. And I would ask, and he would say, no, and I would say, nothing. Nothing. There were times to keep my mouth shut. And do you know what I learned? I learned that if I shut my mouth Often on the way home, we would stop at my favorite ice cream place. Now, would I rather have had that silly piece of candy or that great big White House ice cream cone, the vanilla with the delicious cherries in it? I'll take the ice cream cone every time. I want to tell you, the Lord God of heaven operates in the same manner. He says no to us. Or he says wait to us. And if we allow our emotions to overcome us and we keep coming back at him and, and ripping at him, he will give us a whipping. He'll send the Amalekites. I'd rather not have the Amalekites come. But I want you to see the reality today. That is, we give way because we think there is something we need to reach out and grab for. Now, please, you get me hungry, I'm going to grab for food. 
because I think that that will help me survive. In Jesus, we don't reach out and grab for food. We would rather die than reach out and grab for what Jesus has not given us. He is the bread of heaven. He is enough for us. We ask Jesus to begin opening the gateway of righteousness. I want to tell you what the gateway of righteousness is literally. The gateway of righteousness is the desert. He opened the gateway of righteousness for the children of Israel, and he took them into the desert. The desert is a symbol of how we view the world after we have been baptized in Jesus Christ. We no longer see the desert. We no longer see the world as our bowl of cherries. We see it as the desert. And in that desert, the Lord gives us manna. When you go to work and you're a salesperson, You go to work and you see it all as a desert. It is not to be grabbed at. And the Lord God of heaven will bring the sails as we're faithful to him and we do what we've been called to do. The Lord will give us the manna he's chosen for us. Until we begin to view the world as a desert we'll never be able to safely make the transition to the promised land. The entertainment of the world is empty. Now, if you want to live in the desert, and you want to enjoy the the life of the desert, you will be an Amalekite, a pagan people, a warlike people, a people who had no regard for the lives of other people. They saw the weaklings struggling behind the children of Israel, and they swooped in to kill the weak ones like wolves. The world is filled with the wolf nature that says, if I see one, I'll grab it. If I see an opportunity, I'll grab it before somebody else gets it. Emotion rules us. Primal instincts rule us. But if we are going to follow Jesus Christ, the desert is unfolded before us. And in that desert, the rock pours out water for us, and the sky, it rains manna down for us. And Jesus carries us through that desert. And we don't give way to our emotions. Instead, we look very carefully at the circumstances that surround us. And we lift hands up to Jesus. And we ask for direction. And we stand by faith. Now, please, I don't mean to offend any of you but I want to tell you something about us. We are all greedy little people. We are greedy little people. 
And if we see a chance to grab something, we'll grab it. Provided no one sees who would disapprove. That has to be utterly broken from our hearts. That greedy spirit has to be totally put to death. And the only place it can be put to death is in the hot, arid desert. There we're jostled, we're bumped, we're deprived, we lack all to test us. Remember it said God was testing them. They got it wrong. They thought they were testing God. God had an awesome plan for them to bring them to the Mount Sinai and there to build a house wherein he would dwell among them, to organize them, to give them a culture, to give them a civilization, and then to carry them out of that desert and to provide with them one of the finest lands in all of the world. That was his plan. They ended up spending 40 years in the desert dying and being buried in that desert because they would not stop the rule of their emotions in their lives. They would not believe the word of Jesus to them. Now, between you and me, I've already spent too much time in the desert. I've spent my 40 years plus now in the desert. I've been a pastor for 42 years. It's almost all been desert time. I've had it with the desert. I'm ready to go to Cana land. And Cana land for me means revival. It means the flowing of the Holy Spirit. It means the lost are being redeemed and saved. Some of you have been with me at the National Prayer Chapel for 10 years or more. Aren't you tired of the desert? Isn't it time to move forward? The Amalekites have attacked too many times. They cost us blood. I'm tired of the Amalekites. To move on means to stand absolutely by faith and trust that what Jesus has said to our hearts is true. And to stop giving way to the petty demands of emotions. To understand that we live by the word of God, not by what we feel, and not by what we even understand. We walk by the word of God, and we believe that what he says will take place. You can test very quickly if, if you have been living this past week by emotion. It's a very simple test. The test is, did you grumble? If you grumbled this week, you were living by your emotions. If you grumbled against your husband or your wife, even in your own spirit, maybe they didn't hear you, but you grumbled, 
you are demonstrating a childishness and immaturity that will cause the Lord God of heaven to refuse to bring you out of your desert. If, on the other hand, in the midst of the excruciating desert life, and perhaps even utter lack, you have been able to settle your spirit and say, I choose joy. I choose a calm heart and a calm mind. If I perish, I perish, but I will serve Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances say to me. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but I've been facing circumstances that are absolutely excruciating and impossible. There is absolutely no way I can cause to happen what I believe God wants to have happen. There is no way I can go out to a, to a fruit tree and pick a wife. You don't pick wives off a tree. And you don't pick money off a tree. You don't pick revival off a tree. You don't pick a car off a tree. There's not a, a car tree out there or a wife tree. These things are brought into our lives by the power of Jesus Christ. If you have determined that you will only receive from his hand what he chooses to give you, if you allow the peace of your heart to be stolen by circumstances, by emotion, you will grumble against God. And when you grumble against God, he's going to give you a spanking. He's not going to give you what you've asked for. My dad used to say something to me that made me really mad. Stop your crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Have you ever heard that? Well, my tears were obviously crocodile tears. They were meant to influence him to do what I wanted him to do, and he didn't care to be manipulated. God doesn't care to be manipulated either. God wants us to walk clean before him, lifting up our hearts to him. Now, I have to honestly confess there are some nights when I simply emotionally crash. It's over. And that's why Jan used to have a saying. She would say to me, Ray, we don't make decisions at night. We just go to bed. She was right. Because when I awaken in the morning and I'm called into the prayer closet, suddenly everything begins to look much different. And the resolve is once more in my heart that I will not give way and I will serve him. 
and I will honor his name. And I will not quit, Catherine. Many nights as I've gone to bed, I've said, okay, I've had it. I'm quitting. But I won't make that decision till the morning. And in the morning, the Lord had strengthened my heart, had the victory. When this word of God comes to us, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are saying, I no longer have anything to prove. I no longer have anything to hide. I no longer have anything to grab. It's emotion that makes me want to do all three of those things. It's emotion that makes me want to prove I'm the man. It's emotion that makes me want to hide away some aspect of my life. It's emotion that tells me I have to grab for it, I'll lose it. So today, do you have anything to prove? And let's be honest. As we've grown up, all of us have had something to prove. Prove what a good person we are. Prove that we're better than somebody else. Prove that we can do it. Prove that we can make it. Prove that we're the man or the woman. Nothing to prove. And in the process of trying to prove things, we've done things for which we want to hide. And we don't want to talk about what we've done. I would fairly safely guess that every one of you in this room has some things that you have hidden away. Things that you've done or are doing. And you're ashamed. And you hope you never have to talk about it. And never have to face it. The truth is God already knows about it. And he's dealing with you according to what you have done. And he brings you into the fire. To refine and purify you. And I would urge you to get on your face this week before God. And with a piece of paper. And write down everything in your heart and your life that you've ever done that you're ashamed of. And then take that before the Lord Jesus and lay that down for him so that he can see plainly that you have confessed what you have done. You have laid it out before him and he now will forgive you. Don't allow anything in your spirit to remain hidden, pretending that God does not see. When my girls were just little, we would play hide-and-go-seek. And I would come hunting, searching for them. And here I would see my youngest Heidi with her head under the chair and her body laying out fully on the carpet. But she thought because her head was under the chair, she was hidden. And of course, had to pretend, where's Heidi? 
and then stumble over her and say, oh, is that Heidi? That's how we look to God. Whatever it is that we've done, he sees and he knows. Don't hide from yourself or from God. There should be no weight in your spirit that you're having to carry around with a guilty conscience. Everything needs to be laid out before the Lord in detail. Not so that he'll know, but so that you'll know that you have said that to him. And then renounce it and cut it off in the name of Jesus and allow the blood to wash you clean. There is not anything like waking up in the morning with a pure heart and not having a bitter taste in your mouth because you know you've sinned against the Most High. So it's nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to grab. So that as you walk in the way, Your emotions don't overcome you and say, you better get that while you can or you'll lose it. Some of you are still reaching out and grabbing at people because you think they will satisfy the hunger of your heart. Or some of you are still reaching out and trying to grab at opportunities even if it means stepping on someone else's face. A Christian who is worthy of the calling, as spoken of in Ephesians 4, is completely humble and gentle and patient. There no longer is any grabbing. There is no longer any grabbing. And we begin to recognize then that a friendship between two people, is something that is given, not grabbed. That an opportunity in work is something that is given, not grabbed. A business deal is not something that is grabbed, it is given. It's given commensurate with the heart of a servant who will humble himself and allow the Lord to rule over his life. That's why the Lord said to me, when I made the decision to enter into the school of holiness, the Lord said to me, will you receive only from my hand what I choose to give you? And when I said yes, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. I was enrolled in the school of brokenness in the school of holiness. I urge you, Ephesians 4, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, as a man who is in chains, humiliated, treated as nothing, treated as a criminal, he's saying, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Mighty God, time after time you have delivered us. And yet when we come to the moment of needing once more, the temptation rises in our hearts to test and say, is God among us or not? And is he treating me fairly? And and why is this happening? Lord, I make a vow with you once more today. I will receive only from your hand what you choose to give me. I will not reach out and grab at money. I will not reach out and grab at a relationship. Lord, I will not reach out and grab. I will not try to prove anything. Lord, thank you. May it be so in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You can find us online at nationalprayerchapel.com or you can write to us at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you. We love you. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am alone Through the storm Through the night Lead me on To the light Take my hand Precious Lord, and lead me
Ghost dream Precious Lord Would you linger near When my light Is on 